Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juice Numbers, Your Statistics, and Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Tracy. And I am your host, Corwin Heller. And uh, I'm all jetsed up today for no particular reason, but I figured this was as good a reason as any to wear the Jets hats. I have two Jets hats. I have like nine Yankees hats. I have more I have more non-Yankees baseball hats than I do Jets hats because I never need to be identified as one out of my house that badly. And who wears like NFL hats all that much compared to MLB? Well, I think that's the other thing about it is that they're just not as interesting, especially because the NFL has done that thing recently where like every team's hat is exactly the same just like some the color scheme and then like the some small semblance of logo changes are you talking about like the the draft hats oh the on-field ones both honestly oh how they change it just a little bit every year but yeah like i think essentially the same okay this year's or last year's it was like that weird like trapezoidal shape with like your team's color in it and then like a small version of your logo and then like all the hats were like I don't know, black or gray or some shit. They were awful. They're so bad. Baseball hats are at least interesting. Anyway. Yeah. Not the point of the show. <laughs> um, so, we're, we're, today is MLB Bull Predictions. It is that beautiful and wonderful time of year where we make outlandish claims about things that are uh, very unlikely to happen, some more than others, about the wide, wide world of baseball. But before we get there, uh, the Dolphins made a lot of noise within the span of like an hour and a half, um, wheeling and dealing. And I think probably the truest sense of the word that I've ever seen in which they uh, traded away. So they, first off, let, you know what? Let's actually backtrack it a little bit. The uh, Dolphins had the third overall pick because they had traded Laramie Tunsil to the Texans. Mm-hmm. So that happened a while ago. That was not a recent move. They traded that pick to the Niners to go back to 12th in the draft where the Niners sat in addition to other stuff. We'll get into the entirety of that part. And then they traded back up into the top 10 by going up to six with the Eagles. Um, So the, (laughs) the um, Miami draft, I mean, they really, they really, that GM must've felt quite large after making these trades, man. It is a, their pick locked in at 18, the Miami Dolphins' true first-round pick for this year, locked in at 18, and then they bounced from 3 to 12 to 6, and again, in the span of like an hour and a half. Pretty incredible. It's amazing how quickly the Dolphins have kind of turned themselves into a serious future contender. They're definitely not a contender now, and as bad as their team was two years ago, as good as their defense got last year, the potential they have to just blow this team out of the water. And that was a poor idiom choice, but their ability to turn this team into a serious Super Bowl contender in a short period of time, all because they trade Laramie Tunsil is fascinating. Like they really are putting themselves in a position to, you know, fight off the bills for the title of the uh i almost said nl east then i almost said al east and then i remembered this is not baseball it's the afc east um they i mean they're sticking with Tua Tagovailoa for this season that much is obvious trading back out of a, a guaranteed uh top three qb spot uh because they were three uh 
but they also are in a position where if they go through this season and realize, hey, two is probably not the guy, they're still in a position where they have so much draft capital, they could get their guy next year. They could hold off for two years and get their guy two years from now. They are in a very, very good position to build a team that can compete regardless of how any one of the next two or even three drafts go for them. I mean, truly, j- just to get an idea of their their full draft capital, this season, this draft, I should say, 2021, they have uh, two firsts, two seconds, a third and a fifth, and two sevenths, but who gives a shit? In 2022, uh, they have... San Francisco's first round pick, they don't have their own. And then they have one second and then two thirds. And then in 2023, they have two first round picks and a second and a third. So they have five first round picks in the next three drafts, including the one coming up in a month. I mean, it's, it's so much capital densely packed. It, like it, it, it's like what Corwin said, this is a, such a, because if they wanted to, to spend time building a, around to it and not to it and then next season two seasons from now they've done the two attack of a low experiment and it didn't pan out they're still in a position to move up to if they're not they didn't perform bad enough like they don't have to tank if if the two experiment doesn't work out the way that the jets basically had to ride out sam darnold even though he was bad granted the roster had a lot of other issues too but the jets didn't have quite so much the capital to do what they now are planning on doing, which is, you know, drafting second overall. If they didn't ride out Sam Darnold and just let that team fucking suck, keep Adam Gase for the full season and just be bad. The Dolphins don't have to really do that with how much they just have in the draft to throw at their problem. Um, And that's a really important position to be in because it means that they never have to tear down in order for them to try to regain some success down the road. I, I honestly wish I remembered the extent to which I agreed with or disagreed with the Laramie Tunsil trades uh, or trade as far as return goes and, and some subsequent trades that happened, you know, enough time ago where I no longer remember. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, obviously. And looking back, it's it's pretty amazing how well they were able to not only luck into getting Tunsil in the first place, uh, but working the Texans and being able to consistently turn these trades out that are giving them fantastic draft capital. It's really great. So, yeah, let's get into the the trades themselves. The first trade, uh, Miami Dolphins traded to San Francisco. This is from Miami to San Fran, the number three overall pick, um, the number 12 overall pick. Oh, sorry, no. Oh, this, this, sorry, this site combined the... San Francisco and Philadelphia trades. I do not like that. That sucks. Um, oh, that yeah, that's so that's so fuck you, CBS. Your website's trash. All right, fine. So then they traded to San Francisco the third overall pick to San Fran in exchange for the twelfth overall pick, uh, their twenty twenty two first round pick, their twenty twenty two third round pick, and their twenty twenty three first round pick. So all together just to swap places in the draft, all right, just to swap places, San Francisco gave up two first-round picks and a third. Corbin, give us give us your expertise on this. Uh, please don't say it's expertise, please. Um, you know, I, I like this for both sides. You know, 
the Dolphins obviously do not need to draft at number three. The value that they can get from moving back is something, you know, their position, they had a plan out to move back up, you know, do what they needed to do. I like it for them. They got the, in my mind, the correct amount of draft capital to move forward and, and do this. And it was in their best interest to do so. That being said, on the San Francisco side, I still like it. You know, it's it's essentially an additional two first round picks to move up from, what was it, 12 to... 12 to 3. 12 to 3. That's not... That's not a huge amount. That really isn't, um, especially when you're going from a position where you may be getting a top three, getting the number three wide receiver. You're looking at like Mac Jones, maybe to, OK, you can get Justin Fields. You could get Trey Lance, whatever Kyle Shanahan thinks would fit his system better. And honestly, I, I think you know it comes down to in Shanahan, we trust. I, I trust that he sees. Uh, one of those two guys is someone who will fit his system well, will be able to pick up the system quickly, and will be able to put San Francisco in a, a contending position early. Um, to me, that's Justin Fields. Uh, I don't think uh, Trey Lance is in that spot yet. I just think uh, Justin Fields is in that uh, tier above him. Uh Trey Lance just doesn't have enough film out there that we can trust it, uh, especially being one game as a sophomore where he did not play all that well throwing the ball. And a true freshman year playing against, you know, FCS opponents where he was absolutely electric and lights out the entire season, didn't throw a single interception. How you go 40-0, and that's, I don't know. But to me, Justin Fields has shown enough to be the number three guy. Uh, and hey, if San Francisco gets him and, and he works out as one would expect him to as his level of prospect um, grade, essentially, uh, whatever you want to call it, I think this will work out well for both teams, and, and I'm a big fan. Yeah, I mean, if San Francisco doesn't have a personnel problem right now, um, that do, especially one that doesn't need to be – that will that would need to be addressed with first-round picks in the – next couple seasons those are typically reserved for your high-end uh, defensive ends your high-end offensive linemen um, sometimes sometimes high-end wide receivers depending on where you land in the draft and quarterbacks and as it stands right now they're pretty well set in those positional groups their real issue is what is the long-term or fucking short-term viability of Jimmy Garoppolo as your starter and this is exactly the type because if, if, if Jimmy G doesn't work out this season, they're fucked because this team is too good for them to wind up at a high draft pick from losing too many games. Absolutely. And this train, this team, if so, if they end up not being good enough to get over the hump and then lose Jimmy G in free agency or let him walk in free agency since this is the last year of his contract upcoming, I believe. Um, then it's like, what the fuck do you do? You kind of hose yourself doing this now gives whoever they draft a chance to either one win a quarterback competition, which I don't think is required for San Francisco necessarily for them to be good. They don't think they need to like jump into it, but if a kid did, then cool. Or option two, let them sit for a year, get used to the whole NFL thing 
and then pick up starting duties next season. And, uh, and again, they're, they're, they're pretty well set. This is a very, very well-constructed team. There's not a lot of obvious, I'm really struggling to think of any obvious hole in this, in this team at all. Um, and that's the type of team that you can kind of do maintenance work on with, um, value picks in the second and later rounds and, uh, good budget free agent signings or even good expensive free agent signings. If you're not paying for a quarterback and then are instead paying for, uh, or, uh, paying a rookie salary. So Mm -hmm. it's, it just works. It works really well for them. Um, and then, you know, dolphins get the obvious advantage of just more draft capital. So, all right, looking yeah, really Jesus. And, but the, the dolphins, you know, Diano, could have, could have, could have stopped there. Uh, shout out to, to Passover. I got my diet, Dr. Brown's. I had a brisket today, potato, Kogel, um, Harosit, Maror. We're doing the whole Jew gang business. I made a matzo ball soup. Shit was banging. Um, anyway, not the point. Uh, for anyone who does not know Diano, it would have been enough. Um, you say that every pass. God could have given us the Torah. Diano would have been enough, but no, he kept giving. The Dolphins, they kept giving. So they did another trade. I don't get that joke, but I can accept it. Diana. <laughs> uh, the Dolphins then took that 12th overall pick that they had acquired from San Francisco, packaged that with a fourth round pick this season and their 2022 first round pick and gave that to Philadelphia in exchange for the number six overall pick in this draft as well as the um, Eagles' fifth-round pick, which is comes in at uh, the 156th pick in the draft. Um, Corwin, what does this tell you? Um, I mean, obviously, there's guys there uh, in the top 12 that – or I'm sorry, I need to look up this trick. I need to actually see the physical uh, – like the the pieces in front of me uh otherwise i just will not be able to acknowledge it but this is difficult uh, i just put it in the me. chat thank christ because google was failing me dude we have talked about on the show so many times but looking up trades for whatever reason is the stupidest and hardest thing to do effectively what mm-hmm. why there isn't like you know when you google like how to make ice cream and google gives like a quick little blurb right at the fucking top that shows you at least like part of like what it is you're looking up. Why there that doesn't exist for drafts or trades where it just tells you the important bits of the trade. I have no fucking clue, but whatever. Sorry, you may continue. Thank you. I really just, I don't want to give a grade for this yet because it's so difficult for us to judge this and who will be there at six until draft day i mean at this point my assumption is lawrence one wilson two fields three either trey lance or penny sewell at four either penny sewell or jamar chase at five and then at six that would leave you know a guy like pile kyle pitts uh jamar chase it it's a lot of different ways this could fall at the end of the day, you know, Trey Lance isn't someone they're probably going to be looking for at six Penn. I Sewell, I would think there's a one or 2% chance makes it to six. 
Jamar Chase could be there and I think is the most likely guy to go there, especially with uh, Mike Kosicki as the Kyle Pitts mold wide or tight end there, excuse me, as a, a receiving threat. Not quite at Kyle Pitts' caliber, obviously, but I don't think they would double up at that position, especially when they play such similar styles. But if Chase is gone, Pitts is gone, I guess that does leave Penny Sewell. And yeah, that's an easy pick for the Dolphins to make. So while I don't want to jump in and give this a, a solid grade now, I think the options that they'll have are really, really good. I think it's a really good position to be in. And six is one of those things where there's both the opportunity to move up because the Eagles need capital to build that team. And there's a fair amount of certainty there about who they can get. And if they're comfortable getting either one of those three guys or they're looking at a Devonta Smith, a Jalen Waddle, Hey, it, you know, the price is right. It's really not a huge amount to give up basically moving back from a fourth to a fifth round pick moving back 23 picks not a huge amount or 33 picks excuse me math is hard and a, a first rounder that could be anything it could be a, a top 10 it could be a late 20s who fucking knows um, but if there's a guy there that they think is going to be the guy I think this is going to be a good trade for the Dolphins I think it works out for them um and for the Eagles, I, I get why they want more picks and they, they want more capital to build this team. But boy, there are some good options there for them to take. So, sorry, I don't know if this is audible, but like the wind and where I live just picked up to such a strong degree that it's kind of wild. Um, so if you hear any cr- crashing or clanging, it's just like curtains slapping around, but... The wind here just got, uh, which would been still for a, a good few hours, just got very loud. But uh, anyway, yeah, uh, this is a good example of the Dolphins capitalizing on having a high draft pick and deciding that they don't need it, which, like you said, they didn't. Um, but also having a concept of what availability of players that they wanted to and made use of the fact that they had so much a stupid degree of capital that they were able to get back up without really affecting their immediate or long-term future very much by doing so um it'll be interesting to see which direction they end up going um mm-hmm. honestly if they draft Panay sewell and uh get another offensive tackle to like round out this this arc from laramie tunsil <laughs> to another offensive lineman it would be kind of hilarious um so that'd be fun but yeah i mean it'll be interesting to see what they do um the Eagles are a whole nother mess. God, they, they need everybody. Um, which is astonishing because that division is just so bad. You'd think like, Oh, the improvement margin, the margin of improvement that they need to have is so small. It's like, yeah, but, um, everyone's awful, which means that everyone's taking the same kind of steps forward, you'd hope. Um, and this is the first season going to have to really lean on a full season of Justin or, uh, not Justin Fields, uh, fucking what's his name? What's the quarterback's name? Who? Eagles. Uh, Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts. Thank you. Um, that I, well, I think we would both agree that he is likely at this point in his career better than Carson Wentz. Still something of a gamble when you're going with a, a new guy, or at least something of an unknown. 
um, especially when he's only started a handful of games and boy the the supporting cast in Philadelphia is not ideal for a young mid-round QB pick to uh to work with but like I've said before I have a, a lot of faith in in Hertz to uh to perform and rise up to the challenge the only other thing I wanted to mention with these trades is the fact that the Dolphins made this trade at three and not the Jets at two. In theory, the Dolphins don't need the third overall pick because usually those top one to four picks are very predicted to be very quarterback heavy. Mm-hmm. What ends up actually happening on draft night is what it is. Deals get made, what have you. But the first four picks, four to, four to six picks, usually tend to be skew very QB heavy in mocks because bad teams are usually quarterback light. Um, And if the Jets had faith in Sam Darnold, then in theory, they kind of have no reason to hold on to the number two overall pick, especially when there's quarterback needy teams that would want to go get it, i.e. the San Francisco 49ers. And I find it so hard to believe that the Niners wouldn't have called the Jets first or I guess maybe second um, behind, you know, the Jags about making this trade and the Jets not taking it seems to be revealing in a certain way where one might say, Hey, Sam Darnold, pack a bag. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I don't think there was any reality where the Jets look at Sam Darnold and think, no, no, we're going to, we're going to hold on to him and see what he does rather than getting a guy like, Zach Wilson. I mean, yes, I fully believe Sam Darnold with the right cast around him, um, with the right coaches around him, with the right talent around him could be a, a fairly good QB in the NFL. I think if the Jets were to take that risk, have him continue to be the starter, give him an extension, pick up his fifth year option uh, and either, you know, take a guy like, Penny Sewell, you know, take a guy like Jamar Chase, trade back and acquire more capital rather than taking a guy like Zach Wilson uh, would just be incredibly foolish. Um, You know, as much as we always talk about needing a foundation in place before getting your QB, um, the fact of the matter is Zach Wilson is one of those guys who has a chance to have a very special arm in the NFL and um, you know, hoping that Sam Darnold's problems are purely Adam Gase related and not necessarily just the regression under the Jets. You know, anything involving the Jets as of now is, again, I think a little foolish. Um, so I, I, I would be absolutely blown away if, if they were to do something like that. So I am not surprised in the slightest that the Jets were very, very firm in, in staying at two. If they were even called about it, I mean, if I were the 49ers, I wouldn't even think about reaching out to the Jets to move up to two over the Dolphins at three. I think you'd do it for due diligence, but I for the same reason, like I could imagine them calling – the Jaguars at one again, just for the due diligence of it. Right. Um, but I, I, I can't imagine you going to that phone call going, Oh shit, we are the first overall pick. Uh, right. I, I, I do agree with that, but there would have to be zero expectations going along with that call. 
Yeah, like like the call would go from the 49ers for novice. The call to the Jets would be something like, hey, guys, you, <laughs> you feel like trading? Whereas the call to the Dolphins would start, so we have this trade idea. Like, it would be a lot more energetic. There wouldn't be a big sigh at the beginning. There'd be a modicum of hope. You'd think like, hey, let's make a deal. So starting off like, so you guys feel like moving down from two? Because um, you know the answer is no. But mm-hmm. anyway. Uh yeah, man. Things are shaking up. It'll be interesting. It'll be very, very interesting. Um, anything else on these two trades before we uh, move on into bold predictions? If you had to guess to see who would be the winner out of each of these three trades or each of these three teams involving these trades, um, who would your prediction be at this point? Um. In order, I would say Niners, Dolphins, Eagles. Um, the Niners are so good that if they do get a high marquee quarterback, I mean, they could they could be set for the next fucking four to eight years, depending on how they let it shake out and how, what, how the progress of that quarterback goes. I mean, the team's so good that even if the quarterback they get is mediocre, I mean, that team is just so well-constructed. They could be competitive for, for three to four years on its own right. Um so I really don't think the picks they give up matters much. Uh, the Dolphins, Dolphins, these are great trades for the Dolphins. They, I, their division is hard, uh, and they have some holes, but by and large, they're improving. Um, this will definitely help, but I'm looking at immediate and sustainable success. And I'm, it's just their roster isn't quite there yet for this to be as successful of a trade as the Niners version of it is. And then the Eagles are just such a fucking mess. I mean, they did this because they basically have to. I mean, right. it'd be criminal if they didn't. And it's, it's, this is helping solve a problem. This isn't solving any problems on its own, though. Yeah, I would definitely, in my mind, just the quantity over quality, uh, you know, being able to still get a, a top six guy, still being able to get, you know, essentially Jamar Chase, and which is my prediction, um, and getting a second first rounder next year, getting a second first rounder the year after that. Um, I think the Dolphins have the highest probability of uh, coming out the victors here. Just, you know, QBs, especially the number three QB off the board, success rate isn't ideal. I mean, the third QB, all right, the third QB taken in the, in the draft with Darnold was, was Josh Allen. So that's going to be a shitty example, but, but he was only two of the five in that first round. Well, no, I guess Lamar Jackson was the third. Never mind. My point doesn't work, but my point this time will. You know, success rate is so wishy-washy. The facts so are not in my, fa- my favor, but I believe what I yeah. believe. Just it's that one specific one that I was getting too specific with. Regardless, um, you know, putting all your eggs in one basket isn't always the best idea, especially with the NFL draft. Quantity over quality, still being all first-round picks. I'm putting Dolphins at one, 49ers at two, and the Eagles at a clear number three. Okay, who was the third quarterback taken in the 2019 draft, and where was he taken? 2019 draft? Yes. Shit. Um, was that the Kyler year? So Kyler Murray was the first overall pick. Shit. 
God, this is going to fucking kill me. And I, it's going to drive me up a fucking wall. Man, this is a terrible year for quarterbacks. Holy I shit. know. Like, that's why it's so hard. Oh, God. Who was even in that year? Who were the young starting quarterbacks? Um, fuck, I don't know. I don't know. Second quarterback taken, number six overall, Daniel Jones of the Giants. Oh, it was Dwayne Haskins to the Redskins at 17. Third. 15, but yeah. 15, okay. The next quarterback taken after that was Drew Locke in the second round. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, it's this is such a bad quarterback draft. Who was four? Uh, let's see. Scrolling, scrolling, <laughs> scrolling. We're in the third round. Scrolling, scrolling. Oh, my God. I still don't see one. Are you on Wikipedia? Yeah. Uh, all right. You can sort by position. A supplemental pick at number 100 to the Panthers, Will Greer. Hmm. I actually really liked Will Greer that year. It took 100 I... picks to get the fourth quarterback taken that year. Yeah, that was not a good year. Oh, man, that is so bad. I uh, mean, wow. if there was ever a year for the Giants to burn a high draft pick on a running back... <laughs> Oh, why they 2018. What's funny though is they probably would have taken Sam Darnold. Yeah, on and they sh- they fucking should have. I mean, yeah. obviously retrospect, it looks really bad because he looks really bad. But like, still, they they uh, it doesn't matter. They should have though. Yeah, it's one of those arguments I saw on Twitter not too long ago, and and it's like, yeah, you know, Saquon. I didn't think they should go running back at two. Saquon was just so far and away the best prospect that year. I get why they thought he would be the guy but man just just overall value wise that's so tough so tough yeah all right all right now let's get into bull predictions let's do it it's time um i forget how you have yours set up what do you have first so if you're new to the show okay cool if you're new to the show we do um awards and, and and championship predictions and then we do 10 bowl predictions we actually try a little bit on the awards and championship predictions and then the bowl predictions are nonsense so um let's start with the awards and championship predictions um i tried corwin i tried to not pick players you would pick i i really had to think about it though because i was convinced i was going to run into this problem so, i i did similar but made some predictions that I adjusted. Like I, I tried to do the same, but there was like one or two where it's like, ah, it's just, it's too, too much of a layup, but we'll see. We'll see. All right. Do you want to start? Do you want me to start for the awards? Uh, I think I started last year. So I'll let you go first. Wow. You have a memory that runs to last year. I I think I remember it just because it's like, I don't want to be on the spot. This is tough. And uh, all right. Fair. Uh, all right, so for my American League MVP this season, um, I I had him last year, too. Uh, I'm picking him again this year, um, in part because I didn't want to pick the obvious one. I went with Aaron Judge. Did you pick Aaron Judge, too? No, I just went with the guy I picked last year, too. Mike Trout? Did, then I did not pick the guy I picked last year. Never mind. Neither I don't have my Mike last Trout? year's. I guess not. Uh, I went with Shohei Otani. Ah. Yeah. I guess I picked him for Cy Young, maybe. Oh, no. You had a bold prediction. I had oh. something about. I, I mean, I could pull it up. It's not that hard. I don't remember. It's just, it doesn't matter. 
Uh, but yeah, you went with Aaron Judge. I went with Shohei Otani. He's going to make a couple appearances on this list. That's just how it's going to be. Um, winning MVP as both a pitcher and batter. But um, yeah, I think this is the year he puts it all together. I've had the utmost faith in him for so long. Uh, I, th- I think this is his year. You want to give a rundown of Aaron Judge? Uh, ju- just to speak on Otani real quick. I mean, Otani, the bar for Otani to win MVP is a lot lower than I think people think it is. And it's not because he it's not to discount his batting and that's not to discount his pitching. It's just that nobody does both. It's the same thing that happened when he won rookie of the year. He wasn't the, the, the best batter that season. He was really fucking good out of the rookie class. The only person you could really argue was, was better than him. I think is probably Miguel and Duhar that season. Um, and he, ba- he didn't really pitch much that year because he got hurt so early on, but the fact that he did, no one does both and no one does both competently. Um, so for Otani to win MVP, it'll be an interesting discussion because if he puts up two war as a hitter and two war as a pitcher, I mean, that's really fucking impressive. Like, that's really fucking impressive. He puts up three each. I mean, that's, and that's what I mean by the bar is lower. It's just what he does is so unique. It's going to be hard to it, – it's, it's going to be very easy, I should say, to make a case for him when it comes time for voting. Um, mm-hmm. But, again, we'll see what happens with it. Judge, I just didn't want to pick Mike Trout. Um because it's easy to pick Mike Trout and almost always be right. So I didn't want to pick Mike Trout. Um, and f- fuck it. Yankee, Yankee got picked. That's that's my that's my rationale. Ooh, there. bold from the diehard yeah. Yankees fan. All right, all right. National League MVP, and I had written down your guy first, and I had to erase it because I knew you'd pick him. Um, so I went with uh, another New York name, Francisco Lindor. Um, first year in uh, in Queens, there's also going to be a lot of media attention around him because blockbuster trade now plays in New York, primed to sign a massive over $300 million extension uh, with the Mets at some point this season. That means he's going to be getting a ton of attention. Plus, he's really fucking good. One of the best defensive shortstops in the league, switch hitter, hits bombs, I think I, I if he if he lives up to uh, the Lindor brand name, this is his award. You know what? I'll be honest. You know, Francisco Lindor, he's the best shortstop in baseball. He's playing, you know, under the big lights of New York, even though they are comparatively the small lights of New York. Um, but you know, for my prediction, I I didn't pick him. You didn't. Who, who'd you pick? I didn't pick him. I I think it's such a obvious choice for me that I wanted to be a little more bold. I went with Juan Soto. You know what's funny? I wrote down Juan Soto second, but then I was like, yeah. Corwin might pick Juan Soto too, and yeah. then I went with Lindor. <laughs> you know, I fucking love Fernando Tatis. It is well known. I adore him as a player. He is my daddy. But I think once, oh fuck me. Ah. Uh, uh, fuck, hold on. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I have this thing where, like, if I stretch my toes in a weird way, like it, it like dislocates a little bit, it's like, oh, fuck me. Ow, fuck. All right, we should be good. Okay, let's cut that. That was ridiculous. Nope. Um, <laughs> ah, shit, whatever. You don't cut anything here. Um, but yeah, I think Juan Soto is gonna have a tremendous year. I think the only thing that would put Fernando Tatis ahead of Juan Soto, who I think statistically are going to have equally 
excellent seasons. If you compare the two statistics, obviously they're going to have different categories where they're succeeding. Um, you know, uh, they're both going to have a good number of steals. They're both going to hit a bunch of home runs. Um, I think Juan Soto is definitely going to have the the patience numbers. He's going to have stuff. I think um, Fernando Tatis is going to be a little more electric in the field, just the way he plays. And he's definitely going to have the uh, attention, especially playing for a team like the Padres. Um, I do think the amount of stars on the Padres this year, even with how good they are going to be, and that's always consideration, I think it's going to kind of muddle the votes for San Diego players. And I think Juan Soto would kind of break out of that tight race. I mean, he, he is, he's one of the best hitters in baseball already. Mm -hmm. I I mean, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. He's so much fun to watch. Um, Great lefty bat uh, plays on a, on a, on a marquee team with the Washington nationals. Now that they, now that that duality franchise won their world series, um, Oh God. And he's a fun dude to root for. He plays, he plays, uh, he plays baseball in a very fun way. Um, so it just, I am interested by the, the fact you did not choose Fernando Tatis Jr., but I'm proud of you, buddy. That's growth. That's, yeah, that's growth. growth right there. It's growth. All right. Uh, next Cy Young. Sure. So I went with another pick I made last season because honestly, I just don't care about this group for the AL. I went with Garrett Cole. Um, I think we need to stop kind of just playing games with each other because I went with Garrett Cole. Um, I think we need to stop predicting each other and just predict ourselves. Um, I, this was the one where it's like, I know Josh is going to pick him. I thought about, like, I went through all of the AL pitchers, all of the guys who could be, you know, the Cy Young winner, you know, Shane Bieber, uh, Lucas Giolito. Those were two know. names I considered, yeah. Yep, and then, like, at the end of the day, it's like, I just, with – the question marks amongst the Yankees starting rotation with injuries, um, you know, the other teams that regressed in the American league. Uh, I just, I think Garrett Cole is just going to be a star that cannot be dulled. And I just think he's just going to outshine the rest of the competition by a country mile. And I just think he's going to run away with it this year. Yeah. I also he's found gonna ha- he's going to have a vendetta. I think this year. A Pat Vendetti Vendetta. Um, I think it's a very specific baseball joke. I think it was all for me. It was also so tough to judge because last season was short, you know, like Shane Bieber is going to be a great pitcher again this season because there's no way you can regress that hard. Um, But it's also going to be a longer season. He's going to have to face teams that aren't in the AL central. Uh, Same thing goes for Lucas Giolito. And to Garrett Cole's case, uh, he got off to like a relatively slow start. Um, which doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but when you're trying to determine Cy Young wins and you only pitch in 12 to 16 games in a season, losing two or having two or three shit starts early on, that's a lot of your season. And over the, over a a full 30 to 35 start season, who gives a shit? Um, But the numbers are just so much smaller. I, I, that's what really did this for me is I, it's just who the fuck knows. Mm-hmm. Is this too much to consider? So Garrett Cole is an easy name to pick, and he's on the Yankees, and I don't care. Um, Wholeheartedly agree. Which goes much for my next pick for National League Cy Young. I want to take it to Grom. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. That's kind of the Mike Trout MVP, Garrett Cole Cy Young, just 
Jacob DeGrom side. He is somehow throwing harder in spring training than he ever has before, which just stop. It doesn't make any sense. And his team's getting better at hitting. And that's just a recipe for Garrett Cole getting those all important wins. Um, but also the fact that he just won't stop being good. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I, again, I was here predicting the predictions. I knew that was going to be the obvious choice. I kind of wanted to mix it up and I just, I wanted to stick with the vendettas this year. So I went with my boy, you Darvish, you know, he lost out last I year. Wrote to Trevor down Darvish first. Yeah. yeah. He's going to be, you know, in a, competition with Trevor Bauer this year, Padres, Dodgers. I think he's going to be locked in. I think the Padres are going to be able to get him a huge number of wins. Um, comparatively, you know, at Jacob DeGrom, there's no way the Mets are offensively as bad as they have been the past couple of years, uh, just with the improvements they've made. So I definitely think there's not any chance Jacob DeGrom wins as few games as he has, you know, the past three, four years. Um, but I just think you Darvish is going to be a uh, super electric. And I just think he puts in a, a crazy season for the Padres. A, a, another great pick. I mean, you Darvish is stuff. He is literally, literally the all time leader in strikeouts per nine. He is a very good pitcher. Like, I mean, he, he's so underappreciated. I think there was one spring training game where uh, one of the reporters asked him like, how many pitches did you throw today? And he was like, uh, seven seven different pitches and it's, that's just fucking stupid a guy so with that good. many pitches that he could confidently use holy shit uh i would also like to shout out because it, it feels like it got under mentioned last year is that the mets did have a team ops a team ops plus of 120 um which is really fucking good it, it yeah. usually we shit on the mets because they have a weird inability to hit in their own goddamn ballpark and it makes very little sense it's very stupid and it it literally can't truly be explained. But last season, they actually did well as a team. Um, so we'll see if they can band together once again. Anyway. Uh, all right. Next award. Uh, rookie of the year. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's a, there's a, there was a number of good contenders for the American League. And I'm not convinced this guy's going to get called up early enough um, for him to get full considerations. But he has been one of the most talked about names in the American League prospect system for the last, like, three seasons, I'm going with Wander Franco. Mm. See, I am just not as confident that the Rays are, you know, pushing to bring him up, especially this kind of seems like a, a retooling year for them almost. Like, I just don't think their pitching is going to be in a position for them to contend again. Then again, who the fuck knows? I want Wander Franco in MLB. I just am not as confident that he's going to be there. So I went with another prospect that's kind of shot up the rankings lately. Uh, I went with Jared Kalenick. Kalenick. Yeah. I I don't know. I was between, I was mainly between the two of them. Um, Neither of them are going to start on the major league team. They've both already been optioned to AAA. Mm -hmm. Um, It's tough. Jared Kalenick is going to come up this season. I think it's all but certain. The only reason he wouldn't is if there is, I don't know, he gets hurt. That's like literally the only reason I could possibly think of. I'm thinking. Or if they're still fucking angry that he didn't sign that contract last year. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I think Wander Franco is going to make an appearance this season. They teased him 
possibly being added to the roster during the World Series last year. And I think that the Rays understand at some point they're going to have to. And this might actually be a season to lean a bit more on hitting if you're losing so many valuable pitchers. Mm -hmm. Um, It just seems to make sense from a utilization of your own human capital um, kind of point of view of it. But it's it'll be I'm operating under the assumption he does. I really do think he will this year. But I mean, if he if it come the all-star break and he hasn't been, that basically puts him out of the running. So we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So for my National League one, I'm also I'm a, I'm I took the easy way out on this, and I bet we picked the same person. I'm going with Cabrian Hayes of the Pittsburgh Pirates. I also went with Cabrian Hayes of the Pittsburgh Pirates. He is such a fun fucking ball player, and the um, amount of playing time he got last season showed that one, he is easily the most fun part of the Pirates already, and two, he is easily the best player on the Pirates already. Um, and with how destitute that roster is. Uh, he's got a decent chance of having uh, a standout season in comparison to the t- talent he plays around. So, oh my god! I mean, it'll be it'll be it could be an interesting season because you might see opposing teams pitch around a rookie just because he's one of the few guys who can actually hit in that lineup. And he, I mean, it'll it'll be interesting to see how his his season kind of shakes out as being, again, kind of the only guy that hits on that will hit consistently on that team. Yeah, absolutely. My only concern is, you know, he put up some big power numbers when he got called up last year. And that was surprising because, you know, his entire time as a prospect in the pirate system, his biggest concern was a lack of power. You know, he could his truly tremendous defense. That was always his calling card. Biggest question mark was, will he have any power outside of, you know, hitting the gap, getting doubles, being able to run them out. He just didn't have the home run numbers in the minors. Comes up to the majors and and absolutely blow those expectations out of the, the water. Um, I really hope he could keep it up. I really think he will, but there is that question mark there. Regardless, uh, Brian Hayes was, again, a layup for rookie of the year. I will say, though, the exact same thing happened to Gleyber Torres. Mm. He was not a power hitter in the minors, and now he's a reliable 30 to 35 home run guy when he, like, just was – he was never that prospect. And people said the exact same thing after his rookie season when Mm -hmm. he, you know, mashed a bunch of dingers, and it's like, that's not who he is. We shouldn't count on that. And then he just just keeps doing it. So, who the fuck knows? Yeah. Yeah. Ride it into the storm. Um, it, you know, it's hilarious. You know who has the highest expected or projected war on the Pirates for first base? Uh, fucking what's his name? Derek Jeter's best friend. Um, Todd Frazier uh, opted out. Yeah, He opted out? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. When did yeah, it was that? a day or two ago. Uh, apparently, shit. the Pirates were going to cut him. And he asked to be opted out. It was something, I think, to do with a contract situation. I don't remember the specifics of it. Hmm. Um, it was like a weird, like, technicality. Like, he asked to be, to not get cut so he could opt. I think there was there was a thing with it. I don't remember. But, yeah, he opted out. Hmm. Um, Maybe something with guaranteeing his money for this year and saving the, con- like, rolling it over for next year. Maybe he could make the team next year. I don't know. I don't know. He- Maybe it has something to do with entering free agency. I, yeah, no, I, I, it's, it's a part of baseball industry that we're just not going to know. Uh, mm-hmm. It is a tie uh, between three guys for zero war. 
Ooh. Yeah. I imagine Colin Moran is one of the three. Colin Moran is there. Philip Evans and Will Craig are both projected to also hit zero. Eric Gonzalez projected at negative 0.2. No idea who these people are. I have I've not heard of three of those four guys. Uh, at second base, the Pirates have an expected 1.5 war coming in from Adam Frazier. And then between Kevin Newman, Cole Tucker, Eric Gonzalez, and Rodolfo Castro, um, all of whom are tied with zero expected war. Um, at shortstop, the Pirates have Kevin Newman expected to get 0.5 war and Cole Tucker to get 0.1 war um, at short with Eric Gonzalez and Rodolfo Castro expected to get zero. And then at third base, Philip Evans and Colin Moran are expected to get 0.1 war. Eric Gonzalez is expected to get zero war. And Cabrian Hayes at 2.9 really wow. sticks out. Where's Brian Reynolds on there? Brian Reynolds is listed here in left field at 0.3 war. He's the Ooh. highest war getter in left field. The highest expected war getter in right field is um, also Brian Reynolds at 0.6. After Brian Reynolds, it's um, Dustin Fowler at 0.1. Uh, in- Do you have like totals, like a total number, just to see like who the top overall war projections are for the Pirates? Oh, that's what I'm getting to. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, that's, what, that's, what, that's what I'm getting to. <laughs> uh, um, so that was left field, right field. Oh, that's right. That was center field. Right field. Um, highest expected war getter is a four-way tie with zero. Uh, Gregory Polanco, who's expected to be the regular everyday starter, is expected to get negative 0.1 war, um, which means that Cabrian Hayes is expected to get the most war on the team, 2.9, our fucking rookie. The next guy after him is supposed to be Jacob Stallings getting 1.6 war, Adam Frazier at 1.5, and those are the only three people on the Pirates expected to get over one war which is a very, very low bar to cross. Fuck, that team is bad. Like, one, as to, much one as, to two war is, is replacement level. That's what, that's what that is. I forget where the poll was, but um, I imagine it was either on Reddit or Twitter just asking about who the face of the Pirates was at this point. And, I mean, the runaway favorite was Cabrian Hayes, despite playing in, like, a quarter of an MLB season. He's the only person worth really anything in Pittsburgh right now for the Pirates. And as much as I want him to be the face of the franchise for the next decade, because, you know, as a person, as a player, he deserves to be the face of a franchise. I hate that it's going to be with the Pirates, and I'd love to see him go to a team that will actually fucking utilize him. Or, you know, the Pirates turn a corner, which uh, they could have when they had an opportunity in the you know, 2011 through 2015, and then just decided not to, but we'll see. Um, God, fuck them for ruining Andrew McCutcheon's prime years, but whatever. Uh, all right, let's move into comeback player of the year. Um, for the American League, I originally wrote Jamison Tyone because I've picked Jamison Tyone the last two seasons, um, and, you know, he's He's just been hurt, and it's been not his fault, but I picked him the last two seasons, and he hasn't come back. This year, and I wrote James Tyler's name again because he's on the Yankees, and I really wanted to pick him. Uh, but this year, I have to give the uh, the nod, my prediction, to, uh, to a great story in baseball, to Trey Mancini coming back from cancer um, to already be uh, hitting relatively well in, in uh, spring training and you know set to start the season cancer-free. Yeah, and I'll be honest, the first name I wrote down here was Jamison Tyone, and I thought, I think that's what Josh is going to pick, and there's so many people here. And then I wrote down Trey Mancini, 
And then I was like, I have Shohei Otani winning MVP. I probably should have him as comeback player of the year to, you know, go with it. And I remember you always giving me shit for hedging my bets. So I stuck with Shohei Otani. All three of them. Yeah, all three of those guys are, in my mind, you know, going to be in a it's a three horse race in my mind with those three guys. So I, I, I'm hoping all three of them are, are right there. And, and what, what's great is all three of them are in a really good position to succeed. You know, Trey Mancini, he just needs to get through a season and have his health. And that's a win. Jamison Tyone just needs to pitch a relatively significant number of innings, not even a lot, just a relatively significant number. That's a win. And Shohei Otani just needs to get through a season pitching to some extent, some number of innings, on a regular or somewhat regular basis and hitting on a regular basis. And that's a win. It, all, all three guys have a very reasonable chance of having success this season for what it would look like for people coming back from their various um, illnesses and ailments. But that's yeah, always fun uh, for national league. Uh, I went with St. Louis Cardinal flamer, Jordan Hicks coming back from elbow injury. Um, they left him out basically all last season. Um, so here's to Jordan Hicks throwing 195 miles an hour uh, without seemingly trying very hard. I will say as much as I hate the Cardinals, uh, Jordan Hicks has always been, you know, the only player there that I genuinely enjoy watching and, and look forward to watching uh, when he comes in. I went with Steven Strasburg. Uh, only pitched 83 innings last year. I fully expect him to come back and and really, you know, get back to being Steven Strasburg. And, you know, honestly, I didn't think of Jordan Hicks. That would have been a really, really good selection. Uh, Alex Reyes is another guy for the Cardinals who, uh, another flamethrower who would be a good pick here if he can come back healthy. But, you know, Steven Strasburg's my guy. I'm with you. Yeah. Oh, Sorry, I'm just, I'm just looking at Steven Strasburg's season last year. Oh, no, he only pitched five innings last season. Where the fuck did I get 83 from? I have no idea. I was going to say 83. That almost sounds like a full season. No, he pitched five innings last year. 83. Wow. The year before, how many did he pitch? He pitched a full 209. season. 209. Right? I read it. Like, I was reading an article about Steven Strasburg just to see what the injury was, and I, I thought it had said 83, but... I don't know, but uh, yeah, I guess five innings last season, two starts. Oops. Wow. Yeah. All right. Three pitches, maybe. Ooh, that's an interesting guess. Let me look at his splits and find out. Um, hold on. Come on, Josh. You search the word pitch on a pitching stats page. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> why are you surprised there were so many results <laughs> who would have thought yeah i don't know i don't know what i was expecting um <laughs> yeah wow i just feel like an idiot now um oh pitch count uh wait what pitches one through 20 oh that's not what i thought pinch cat pitch count was oh god damn it joshua yeah, all right. I didn't find it by searching, and I'm not going to spend much more time embarrassing myself. So we're just going to move on. Uh, uh, I'm going to search for it to see if I can find it. Manager of the year, 
So I didn't pick him last season. Uh, I actually, wait, did I? I didn't. Okay. Um, I'm going with Aaron Boone, which usually would be a layup. Um, and he's taken his team to the playoffs each of his first three seasons um, as a manager. He's He won 100 games in each of his two full seasons. Now, last year was a bit of a struggle for the Yankees, but last year injuries were a bitch, um, and the, the team struggled in a lot of places. But uh, he, despite all of his success, you know, going to ALC, uh, ALCS, what? Steven Sprosberg had 69 pitches in his first game. 14 in a second for a total of 83 pitches. There you go. Makes sense. Um, anyway, Aaron Boone, who, you know, manages a very successful team, a very big name team, the literally the biggest name in baseball. Um, I've avoided him relatively recently. And I, I think this year seems like a good year for him to kind of get his recognition. Um, not that I think, I don't think any team necessarily needs it. Um, because it's manager of the year, but uh, you know, Kevin Cash finally got over the hump and won that award last season. I think people are going to look at Aaron Boone and say uh, he's accomplished a lot. If the Yankees are, are also good this season, um, you know, and finish above 95 wins or so it'll be, it'll be his turn. So, so to speak uh, is how I'm kind of making. I, so I'm not leaning on it so much as a Yankees bro kind of, kind of pick more. So just a, I think I'm trying to think how the way a large group of voters would think about this. Um, so there, there's my AL manager of the year pick Aaron Boone. Yeah. This is one where I really wanted to find someone uh, just outside the box and just digging through the AL this year. The front, Tony runner, the front runner was the white Sox. Like I think they're going to be team, the team that comes up and really, you know, exceeds expectations, even though everyone's saying that. So their expectations are now significantly higher. Uh, I just refuse to give that to Tony La Russa because same. Tony La Russa is a piece of shit. We went through the so, same thought process. Yep, so I went with Aaron Boone. All right, Josh, we need to be different people. We can't be man. And you know, what's funny, man is both of us sat down and said, all right, Here's what the other person's going to do. Let's mm-hmm. not do that. And even when we didn't think that, we still had the same thought process on all of these picks. And I sat there and I was like, I have to pick people Corwin's not going to pick. And God damn it. Anyway, fucking anyway. All right. And I bet we picked the same guy for National League Rookie Manager of the Year. I picked Jace Tingler. I picked Jace Tingler. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... That was one that I had written in before I even did predictions. Just like Jace Tingler's kind of the layup pick for me this year. I mean, you know, Martinez, sure. Like, you know, the Dodgers are going to be great, but the Padres haven't really been great, all that great before. So Jace Tingler was my guy, and and I'm very, very confident with that pick. Yeah. And and I will say significantly closer uh, competition than what's going on in the AL. Yeah, but I mean, but yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, this, this, it was a tougher, a tougher choice, but I at the same time felt more confident in picking it because the, what the Padres are doing is so exciting. It is so much fun. And having a manager that can, you know, handle a room full of great veterans and 
great young guys and rookies is important. And I think that's going to be looked upon very favorably, especially having to go up against the Dodgers 19 times this season. This will be a good year for Jay Singler to kind of get a lot of looks um, as manager of the team. Absolutely. I just hope he learns how to manage guys who swing on three counts. Yeah, quit being such a bitch, Chase. <laughs> your, name, your name has a Y in it, you fucking loser. Uh, anyway. Uh, all right. World Series champions. Actually, yeah. No, give me your World Series champion. Who do you got? Oh, wait. I start. Sorry. Sorry. I start. Sorry. Sorry. I forgot. I forgot. That, that's not even why I'm shaking my head, but go ahead. I picked the Dodgers. Um. They have, oh God, did we pick the same team? Oh, fuck no. I'm just upset you picked the Dodgers. I did. I, you know, I obviously want to write the Yankees in there every single season we do this. Um, However, the Yankees have a lot of problems, or at least they took a lot of gambles. And that's not to say that that won't pay off for them, because if it pays off to even a mild extent, they are good. They are good. Um, But the Dodgers seem like just such a safe bet. Their pitching depth is genuinely offensive. Um, Their hitting depth is stupid. Um, And while they probably won't have necessarily as easy a road into the playoffs as the Yankees almost certainly do, since the Dodgers will have to actually play a, you know, very, very good other team in their division. And the Yankees kind of don't because the Rays got a lot worse this offseason. So the Yankees will probably, I don't want to say coast, but they'll have an easier time getting in. I think that the Dodgers are just so well positioned for a repeat. Um, but rooting for the Yanks anyway. Who'd you, who'd you pick, Corwin? The Padres, man. I don't ah! know how, how I could not. Ah. Um, yeah, no, definitely pick the Padres. I think they go all the way. I think it's going to be a serious battle uh, between them and the Dodgers, uh, obviously. Um, but, you know, got to pick my boys to come out on top. I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, it would be fun. I'll tell you. I tell you what. I tell you what. Uh, all right. So then, real quick, I actually just because I'm I'm curious. I wanted to hear. I didn't prep this. I would, I hope you didn't either. Um, first take gut reactions on who wins each division. All right, so I'm going to say the division okay, name. Pull up the divisions. I, I, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to say the division name. I just want to hear first team that comes to your mind is division winner. Um, okay. So we'll do this in the same order. We always do this in because it's it's just how it's always presented on Baseball Reference. AL East. Yankees. Yankees. Um, NL AL Central. Uh, White Sox. Yeah, White Sox. Uh, AL West. Oh, Athletics. Houston, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with with they're getting Verlander back for the full season. He didn't pitch. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't matter. We're doing hot takes or quick takes, I should say. They're not the things aren't necessarily hot. NL East. Uh, Mets. I'm gonna stick with the Braves. To say. It feels I'm dirty s- to say, but Mets. I know because they're gonna disappoint you because the Mets had a 120 OPS plus as a team last season and still finished last in their division. So fuck it. Um, <laughs> Uh, NL Central. Oh, uh, Brewers. I'll go Cardinals, but I don't feel good about any team in this division. Um, NL West. Padres. Dodgers. All right. 
It'll be interesting. Very I admit that was a fully homer pick, but I don't care. You're allowed to have them. Yeah. That's the point of being a fan. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Let's get into the actual bold predictions. I have one carryover from last year um, because sure. it's still bold and I still think it could happen. Um, I started with the awards. Do you want to start with the bold predictions? Do you want me to start with the, with the bold predictions as well? I'll start with the bold predictions. Why not? All right, let's hear it. What's your first one? This is coming back from my awards predictions, as they usually do. Shohai Otane is a finalist for the Cy Young, wins AL MVP and the Silver Slugger. Very nice. Uh, my first one is hot. My first one, I'm coming in hot on the first one. This is bold. This is very bold. Um, Corey Kluber and Jameson Tyone each pitch for over 120 innings. Ooh, I want it to happen. I don't know how I feel about it, but I want it to happen. I know. I had – hold on one second. I had something up. Hold on. I had a thing up for this. Guys, Damn it, he had Josh. a thing. Oh, all right. I got it. So, as it stands right now, I would looked – for full reference, I looked up these after I did my predictions, so there's no confirmation bias. Um, Corey Kluber, per his zips – projection is expected to throw 119 innings so doing 120 would be over his projection james so that's not it's, it's not horribly bold it's still relatively bold coming back from that elbow injury but it, it's not it's not horribly bold uh james and tyone on the other hand who has not pitched since 2019 his zips projection is 106 Point three, 106 and a third innings, um, which he would be exceeding by at least at least two or three starts, probably more like three starts. Um, so that one could get a little bit more bold, especially since he's going to be starting off a little bit slower. Um, mm-hmm. The Yankees implemented a very interesting system, which is Garrett Cole pitches every five days and everyone else pitches every six days. Um as a way to spread out the bullpen usage and also ease Jamison Tyone in by giving him and Kluber extra days of rest uh, baked into the season and giving Cole that level extra level of consistency. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, that is a very Homer prediction. Um, we'll see. Hey man, I hope they both do well. I'm a fan of both those guys. So they're great. My number two is also kind of hot. I I don't even know if it's ever even been done before. Both the Dodgers and Padres finished the season with at least 100 wins. Uh, Yeah, the Red Sox and Yankees did this like two years ago, three years ago. Wow, that fucking sucks. I thought that was cooler. Yeah, Red Sox got 108 wins and the Yankees got 101. It was Aaron Boone's first season as manager. Mm, Man, I should have done any research whatsoever <laughs> just 30 seconds worth of googling oh who cares this is still, this is still bold though it'll be interesting to see because the diamondbacks i'm going to imagine are worse because i don't know what their pitching is anymore since they lost a couple guys to free agency and you know don't have granky around although that's a couple seasons of old news at this point um basically the astros are looking at Astros? Oh, sorry. Who are you talking about? Diamondbacks. Oh, okay. Sorry. You were talking about... Uh, you mentioned Granky. I just immediately th- thought of the Astros. Yeah, I'm just uh, wondering if, if both the Dodgers and um, Padres will have the, the ability to feast 
on the rest of the division because I don't think any team in that division's really getting appreciably better. The Rockies have, fucking ain't. That's for goddamn sure. So it looks like they have Mad Bum, Zach Gallen, Caleb Smith, Luke Weaver, uh, Joaquim Saria, Alex Young. Uh, no one exceptionally dangerous other than Zach Gallen. Yes, the ever dangerous Zach Gallen. Hey, man, I'm a big fan of Zach Gallen. Zach Allen? Gallon with a G. Zach Allen. Uh, are you making Zach Allen? I just I hate you. I hate you so much. <laughs> All right. So for my my next bold prediction, um, this might not sound very bold, uh, but oh, it is shoot. relatively bold. Um, that is no batter hits over 45 home runs. Now. Ooh. There is supposedly a deadening of the ball happening this season. Supposedly. So th- I, I am hypothesizing that we see a relatively steep drop off in home run production, not very steep, but a noticeable depreciation in, in um, home run production. I originally had it set to 50, but 50 home runs doesn't happen. Like it's not a lock for every year that for that to happen. Um, it has, Discounting 2020, it happened in 2019. It happened in 2017. Um, it happened in 2013. But that you know, there, there's gaps there. Uh, mm-hmm. 45 home runs not happening hasn't not happened, I, I guess, since 2014, um, when in the National League, Giancarlo Stanton led the National League with 37, and Nelson Cruz on the Baltimore Orioles, Nelson Cruz led with 40. Um, in the American League. I don't remember that whatsoever. <laughs> no. Uh, now, it is less common as you go, uh, you know, a little bit back between kind of like 07 and 2014. Um, no one hit 45 home runs in 20, 2012. No one hit 45 home runs in 2011. Uh, oh, and then you actually have to go back a fucking ways um, for no one to hit 45 home runs again. Well, now Ooh. now I'm in steroids era. Ooh, fun. Um, but regardless... 45 home runs, it might not seem like that too bold of a prediction, but it really, 45 home runs happens a lot. So for us to not get there, I think would be, would be noticeable. So that's where I'm going. Fair enough. Uh, My number three, each of the top five starting pitchers on the Padres finish with a sub four ERA. Ooh, Not terribly bold considering how good they are, but. Again, don't know the last time that's happened. It doesn't seem exceptionally crazy, uh, but I think it will be exciting to watch. One of those Homer picks. It'll be interesting because the only, again, like the only real competition they have is the Dodgers. Um, The Giants have just as hard a time hitting in that stadium as the Mets do in City Field. not to say that you know the obviously disproportionate levels of success in mm-hmm. um, each of those stadiums, but the Giants are not a great hitting team. Um, the Diamondbacks are a mixed bag of talent, and the Rockies are uh, hot flame and shit. Hot flame and shit. They have Trevor Story. They have the um, living husk of Charlie Blackman. 
and um, seven yeah. other guys who will put on Rockies uniforms. That in is that correct. Lineup. They do. They do have other guys there. Yeah, I, I mean, they paid fifty million dollars to get rid of their best player. So um, to get to see all these guys feast on poor hitting, I don't think is the world's wildest assumption. Um, so th- this is this is. It'll still be hard. I'm not trying to make Cormans look like a bitch, um, but this no, is it's true. Oh, yeah. This 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 one very much so could happen, which is the best type of bull prediction. Yeah. Um, my next one is only bold because the Pirates suck, um, and that is that Jack Leiter will make his MLB debut this season after the Pirates take him first overall. So the first part of that that needs to happen, and if the Pirates take him first overall, we I think that's kind of a given at yeah. this point. Um, yes. He had another six, yeah, six, no, seven, seven no-hit innings um, this weekend, which means 17 straight, sorry, 16 straight no-hit innings as he threw a no-hitter prior. I mean, the kid's fucking ridiculous. Um, the only tough part about it is that the Pirates going like, yeah, let's call him up and start paying him early, which um, – Again, happened with Chris Sale and the White Sox, who were at the time considered, you know, not a great organization. Um, but the Pirates truly are something else. So this is bold only because it's the Pirates in my mind. But we shall see. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, that's bold because. Again, the Pirates money. Money's fucking stupid. Um, my number five, four, four. I know how to count. Thank you. Juan Soto finishes the season with an OBP greater than 500. The first to do it since Barry Bonds in 2004. ODB finishes with an old old dirty dirty bastard bastard over 500. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad we both immediately, or at least I knew immediately it was going to be old dirty bastard. On the ODB, as you can see. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that would be fun. I mean, that's one of the things that makes Juan Soto. Oh, baby, I like it. Oh, anyway. <laughs> um, that's one of the things that makes Juan Soto such a great fucking hitter in addition to a fun dude to watch. You got to fucking throw strikes, man. The dude does not swing out of the oh. zone. He takes his goddamn walks. Outside of the Padres and everything they do, I don't know if there's anything I enjoy watching more than Juan Soto doing the Soto shuffle after taking a pitch. Like it's up there with, you know, Matt Chapman getting deep in his stance and making a play a third, watching Aaron Nola's just crazy curveball, just lock guys up. But I fucking love the Soto shuffle, like irrationally love that fucking shuffle. I can like hear him saying under his breath, you fucking bitch, every time he does yeah. it. And like, he obviously doesn't because he's too nice of a guy. But if I was him, I wouldn't be a nice guy. And that's what I would say. I'm fairly certain he came out. At, I don't know if this is a direct quote or if this is just something that was like assumed that he says, but he walks up to the plate every time and locks eyes with the pitchers and just basically says, I am better than you and I know it. And that's how he approaches every single uh, at-bat. And I adore it. 
Yeah, uh, this is a guy who's in the 89th percentile of strikeout percent, which means he barely strikes out, and is a 73rd percentile for whip percent, which means when he swings, he does not often miss. Um, it, and that doesn't necessarily mean he he gets a hit. It just means that he makes contact with the pitches he chooses to swing out, which uh, is what's important. So, um, God, he is a. Uh, I, I, I know base he's in a weird position because baseball fans, even casual baseball fans, all know who Juan Soto is. And I really think that with a full season of Juan Soto, you know, he's already break, broken out, all that shit, already won a World Series. But I think a full season of, of Juan Soto's big fucking personality and being amazing at baseball, plus with all the stories being written about him, could be the year that, um, like, zeitgeist-wise – he really breaks out and becomes, you know, like a, like a, a little bit of a pop culture figure because the dude is so much fucking fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, just for reference, cause I said it, uh, Mike Trout's K percent. Ooh, you know what, what percentile Mike Trout is in for K percent? What percentile? Yes. 98. 45th. I guess he has been. It has shot up a lot as he's kind of been selling out for power more. I do remember that being a storyline. Yeah, his whiff percent still still. Um, he's still in a very high percentile for his whiff percent, eighty second, um, which is which is nine percentile points, um, above where uh, our boy Juan Soto is. But uh, yeah, that that K percent is 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 sneaking, is falling down there, but. Anyway, I don't point remember being, ever using whip as a batter statistic. Yes, it exists. Okay. Learn yeah. something new every day. Well, <laughs> maybe you Sometimes. do. Yeah. Sometimes. Uh, my next one is for me. It's fun. I mean, all these are for me, but this one, this one's just for fun. Um, Tim Anderson has a thirty for Mr. thirty season. Anderson. Ooh, he's he's like come that. he's come close a couple times and by uh, kind of uh in so obviously 2020 you got to ignore it um because it's just like the numbers aren't going to be high enough uh but in uh 20 sorry 2019 he got 18 home runs and 17 stolen bases in 2018 he got 20 home runs and 26 stolen bases so he's getting he gets both in a pretty close proximity of each other because he's a fast dude and he has some pop. Um, I am hoping he gets a burst of power because to, to get, you know kind of boost him up to the thirty home runs. Because I think if the um, White Sox let him, the stolen bases can can be there, you know. And if if Tony Larusa is uh, the worst and goes with not analytics that might mean he'll give some of his players more uh leeway you know to run a more old school baseball style where you can steal more bags so i think that there's a this might be his best shot at getting 30 stolen bases this season due to the um shitty old man factor and in addition to the fact that tim anderson's a very good baseball player but to see some pop off of him would also be super fun so uh it's bold because he has not he has not come quite close to 30 home runs. His biggest season was 20 in 2018. So we have to add 10 to that. But at the same time, I love Tim Anderson. So I'm going oh, with I love Tim Anderson so much. Not as much as you. I will say you are a definite 
you know, stand for Tim Anderson, which not a bad thing. Love Tim Anderson. Um, my next prediction is Cabrian Hayes is an all-star at third base this year. Oh, I love that. Also, who on earth else would the Pirates send to the game? <laughs> I genuinely forgot that they had requirements to have guys. Yeah, it's okay. like that's no longer a bold prediction. That's a guaranteed <laughs> point for Corwin this Lock season. Lock it in, Fuck yeah. Because yeah. remember the season uh, 2017 or 18 at the Orioles, like lowest, and they John still sent Means. Johnny Means. Yep. We had like a four or five ERA at the time. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh God, that was bad. I think there needs to be a bar, like a bar needs to be set. Oh, yeah, literally. Who else with the Pirates? <laughs> and oh, that's so funny. No one. They have no one else. That's so funny. I love it. I love it. All right, uh, for my fifth bowl prediction, um, it it depends on how. Uh, the season goes whether this ends up being bold or not. Um, but I have uh, Max Scherzer gets traded at or before the deadline, specifically part two to the Yankees. Okay. Now, the Yankees did a lot to make sure that they stayed under the luxury tax uh, threshold. They did leave some room in there, and everyone said, Ooh, maybe it'll be for a trade. Um, and if they were to make a trade, I could only really picture it being for pitching. Their lineup is still very good, even though Luke Voigt got uh, surgery today and, and is going to be out for a couple months. Um, they're still a very, very well-rounded hitting team. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of pressure on them this season because of a lot of the trades that they didn't make over the last few seasons that look really bad in retrospect, like not trading for Zach Greinke, which worked out phenomenally for the Astros uh, and not trading for Justin Verlander, which worked out phenomenally for the Astros and not trading for Garrett Cole, which worked out phenomenally for the Astros. Um, Now that those all just happened to be to one team, but point being, those were all trades that Yankees media and uh, Yankees fans talked about ad nauseum that would have worked out for the Yankees if they wanted to open up the pocketbook and they just chose not to. You, um, you could even look at Darvish and Snell this year where they were taken at bargains uh, with seemingly no other teams really putting out serious offers. Right. I mean, and that was because the Yankees were trying to do their whole payroll finagling and they had an idea of what that looked like in their mind. There's enough room that once we get to the trade deadline point, the remaining salary on Verlander, Verlander, Scherzer's contract. I'm not sure what it'll really be since it's a, you know, they do these things on a, on a per game basis. Um, but I would assume that with some level of salary retention um, and maybe some cutting of players on the Yankees end, um, which I would, uh, or trading away of players in return to, to, uh, you know, shift their salary burdens. It, it could end up going that way. I picked the Yankees just to make this a little bit more specific to make it more of a challenge. Uh, in reality, this is Scherzer's last season on contract with the Nationals, and if the Nationals aren't looking right, um, if they're if they're not if they're not poised to compete come trade deadline, it would make the most sense for them to trade Scherzer. He's just not part of their future. He's thirty six, um, thirty seven. 30, I'm going to say 36. Old. Yeah, it, it, it just makes more sense for them to, to 
I would think to move on than to try to squeeze another one to two years out of him in all likelihood. So uh, Scherzer trade to the Yankees. That's my bull prediction number five. I'm a fan. My number six is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Hits 40 home runs, which I will say seems not as bold as it actually really is. He hit nine as the rookie. He hit 15 last year as a sophomore. Uh, baseball reference only has him projected for 20 home runs. So I have him doubling those predictions, predictions, words are hard hitting 40 total home runs. Um, I hope it doesn't, I hope it happens and none of them are against the Yankees. Uh, I hope it happens. I'm not going to be that picky. Fair enough. I just uh, hope, I hope he figures it out. He has too beautiful of a swing and too much potential to to leave us disappointed. Well, he lost a ton of weight. It, he looks great. Um, they're moving so, him to first base so that he he has um, he's got a, a less taxing position on him. Might help out with his durability. Might help out with his confidence a little bit. Because um, you know, I, I'm as, as seemingly non interconnected as those two things are. It must be so hard going up to hit. Um, after you've made like two errors in a game and are just having the worst time. So uh, this could be a really good season for him, especially with the rest of his lineup maturing and getting a little bit of extra protection in the lineup with George Springer coming in whenever his injury is done. Hmm. Um, anyway, I like this one. All right. Thanks, dude. Moving on. This one is bold-ish. These actually feel really tame in comparison to years past, which is saying something. Uh my next one is the Orioles are buyers at the deadline. Yeah, go fuck yourself. <laughs> so last year, I predicted that the Orioles would finish above 400, which was saying something because they had not done so for uh, a Ever. season or two. <laughs> and I was right. So my rationale here is that the Orioles have a lot of holes and I don't think they'll be able to fill them with draft picks, at least in the immediate. And I don't think they'll be able to call up enough talent to fix them either. And I think that if the Orioles want to start bringing up talent and not have that be fucking wasted, they're going to have to acquire players eventually. And maybe they'll actually take on, I'm not saying they're going to be trading for, um, you know, Granky or Scherzer or whatever, but I think that they there's a chance that they try to accelerate a little bit their um, uh, uh, rebuild. Jesus Christ. Accelerate their rebuild a little bit and end up actually taking on some players at the deadline um, away from teams that uh, are just not going to make the playoffs and looking to shed some talent. Hey, uh, it's bold. It's bold. It's bold. It's, bold. <laughs> it's definitely bold. It's very bold. The, 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 the Orioles currently don't have a starting second baseman. <laughs> like, it's really bold. Oh, my God. The Orioles. What the fuck, guys? They literally just cut their starting second baseman, in theory, to save $750,000. Yeah, it is, uh, it is dark in Baltimore, man. But you got to start winning eventually. So okay, what are you gonna do now, Buck? Uh, will forever be one of my favorite audio clips in all of baseball. So good. Uh, my number seven, Fernando Tatis. Knew he had to make an appearance here somewhere. And Ronald Acuna are the fifth and sixth members of the forty forty club. <laughs> so 
fuck off. <laughs> no. All I right. think this is genuinely doable. I, th- I think both of them are in a place where they can get there. I think they're both in, have the opportunity and skill to do so. The boldness is really taken up a notch by having both of them get in. All right. Listen, listen. Process over results. It's the prediction that they are both going to be in the battle for it. Even if they both don't get there, I'm okay with it as long as it's a race. This is bold. This is very bold. Uh, my next one is is interesting. Um, Toronto bats as a team a greater than a 120 OPS plus. They also pitch as a team under an 85 ERA plus. Uh, now, Toronto's hitting last season. As a team, they batted a 109 OPS plus, which means they have to tack on 11 points of OPS plus. It's 11 percentage points better than average as a team that have to bat. They're adding George Springer, which should do a lot to help that, especially since, in theory, uh, George Springer would be taking the bat out of, I guess, Randall Grichuk's hand um, with George Springer's career average um, OPS plus being significantly greater than the career average of Randall Grichuk's. Let me actually get those numbers in front of me. I have 9,000 tabs open. It is the Josh Tracy way. Um, that's how I was about to it. say that is the least surprising thing ever. Yep. I can't tell what any of them are. Um, George, George Springer's career OPS plus is 132. Randall Grichuk's career OPS plus is 106. So that's a 26 point addition um, in career OPS plus in the last, uh, I'll go with 2019 because it's a full season for both players. Randall Grichuk, a 93 OPS plus, uh, George Springer, 151. Even last season, which was a great year for Randall Grichuk, um, with a 115 OPS plus, George Springer still outperformed him by 25 points to a tune of 140. Now, that doesn't make up the whole difference for uh, from a team perspective, but the additional lineup flexibility that having a guy who bats that fucking well will mm. give you, um, I think, is doable. The really interesting part will be the pitching side of it. Last season, their pitching was not great. It was a 95 ERA plus, but this prediction requires them to lose 10 points of of ERA plus get 10% against average worse than um than league average and uh it's sad that that is also very likely to ha- they are literally one single Hunjin Ru injury away from that being almost a certainty which is terrifying because it's a lot of a lot of eggs in a single basket yeah, I, I mean they. It it's just it's just a scary level of lack of I guess depth coming out of the Blue Jays. I mean I think I think there's still going to be a, a a good team on the back of their hitting, but I mean if you look at their start. Their starting pitching depth is Hunjin Ru, Robbie Ray, who I think is currently hurt, Tanner Roark, Stephen Matz, who is like. I mean, injury personified. Mm-hmm. Nate Pearson, who I'm not entirely sure of who he is, but he's day to day. Top ten prospects coming in as a as a first year starter. Gotcha. Uh, then Ross Stripling, Trent Thornton, Tyler Chatwood, uh, T.J. Zook, Anthony Kay, who is also currently day to day, 
and Tommy Malone. I mean, I mean, it's hideous. There are two players on this team projected to get over 150 innings pitch, Hunjin Rue and Robbie Ray. And after that, it's, it's wacky. Um, so. Yeah. That's not a whole lot of confidence. No. All nope. right. Uh, sticking with pitching, my number eight, each of the top five vote getters for the NL Cy Young Award come from the NL East. NL West. I don't know why I said East. It's written West. I know it's West. Definitely uh, it says not going to be East. East. Ah, uh, yes. That's West, Patrick. Basically, you have all of the starters from the Dodgers, all of the starters from the Padres. Uh, you have Armand Marquez from the Rockies. You got Zach Gallen. If you want to throw Mad Bum in there from the Diamondbacks, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Um, but it's basically, you know, that cuts out Jack Flaherty. That cuts out, you know, Corbin Burns from the Brewers, uh, Woodruff from the Brewers, Max Scherzer, Max Freed, Aaron Nola. The big one, Jacob DeGrom. How Jacob DeGrom doesn't finish top five in NL Cy Young? It's a good question. I don't know, but that's really, uh, that's going to be the big hump to get over this year with uh, this prediction. All right. All right. That'll be interesting. I mean, it, it certainly could happen with the uh, immense quantity of talent on the mound you just never know uh my next one also isn't that bold but will still be hilarious to watch happen um and that is that no nl central team will get 90 wins (laughs) now 90 wins is not a very strong threshold to cross um it's tough it's like tough to win your division and not get 90 wins but But the Cubs look like a dumpster fire, especially losing Darvish. Um, the uh, the Reds are a mess. The the Pirates are garbage. The Brewers are a mess. The Cardinals have a team. They've got some batting. Can I interest you in some batting? Um, and we have a few guys who pitch. And I don't have any level of confidence in anybody to scrape out enough meaningful wins to cross the 90 game threshold. Yeah. I mean, honestly, outside of Brian Hayes at All-Star, which now realizes a gimme, this might be the easiest one to get like this. I don't like any of these teams to hit 90 wins at this point. Oof. It's an ugly division, but we need yeah, that. It's, yeah, it's, it's just fucking hideous. Um, yeah, so the last full season, 2019, the Cardinals did win the division. Do you remember how many wins they got? 91. 91. Holy <laughs> shit. Just got it. Um, before that, the year before that, Brewers won the division with 96 wins. Cubs had 95, so two teams crossed that threshold. But, I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't like the odds. Anyway, uh, Corwin, your next one. All right. My next prediction 
Lance McCullers outperforms Justin Verlander and Zach Grinke as the Astros' top pitcher in 2021. That's bold. It is quite bold. That's very bold. Hey, we'll see. We'll see. They're both getting way up there in age, way past that 35 mark. Hey, man, time is undefeated. Hey, it doesn't take a lot of athleticism to throw Zach Greinke's Zephus pitch. He's just going to ride that baby to the sunset. Oh, dude, I want Zach Greinke to to just, I said live forever. (laughs) That's, I meant play forever, but. No, Zach, I want you to die. (laughs) Yes. One of my favorite players. I love Zach Greinke. Wholeheartedly agree. He's the he's the best. All right, all right. My next one is a very bold prediction. Um, like it's almost certain to not happen, but anyway, uh, Trevor Bauer loses his spot in the rotation to either Dustin May or Tony Gonsolin. I love it. Now, I love it because I want it to happen, but I love it because yeah. that is honestly a storyline i could totally see happening in 2021 just pure chaos well that and the fact that this idea is born under the fact that the dodgers if trevor bauer is underperforming his rotation spot not Mm -hmm. fuck the contract for the time being just his rotation spot the dodgers have so many other options for what they could do in that rotation spot which is something that most other teams don't have most other teams that have an idea what their playoff window looks like um and have a starting rotation that they have faith in usually don't have two to three other dudes who could just get shoved into the rotation spot and like be good. So they just have to ride that shit out and hope that they can just eat whatever that player looks like and his contract and performance until they get to the playoffs and figure it out from there. The Dodgers don't have to do that. If Trevor Bauer is a net negative and obviously with his contract, he's going to be one hell of a net negative. Um, because there's going to be a lot of leniency when you're getting paid $40 million a year. If he's seen as, as, a, as, a, as a net negative over uh, one of Tony Gonsolin or Dustin May as a starter, the Dodgers could move him on from that spot. That involves Trevor Bauer being very bad, and the Dodgers being convinced that their playoff window isn't enormous and they don't want to risk it um, by leaving Bauer, by leaving anybody in a position to hold them back from either getting fucked in the playoffs or um, – losing the division to the likes of the San Diego Padres. So boy, I do love the Padres. That's right. Everyone likes pod racing. Uh, so that is, <laughs> this is, a, is pod racing. So that is my, as my, probably my boldest prediction, but I got, a, I got another one up my sleeve for you. What's your next one? Let's see my final prediction. All teams play 162 game schedule and there are no COVID outbreaks amongst teams. Last year, we had sad COVID predictions, and this year, we have happy COVID predictions. Yeah, baby. We're going to have something. Woo! Don't Woo-woo. fuck it up, Miami. Woo! Seriously. Or Se- you, St. Louis. Or anyone. Or you, Phillies? I think they had an issue, too. Doesn't they matter. Did, yeah. Um. All right. I also believe this because I think there was talk about – um. MLB getting um, vaccine appointments for their players um, with it within the next uh, like three to six weeks or something like that. So there's a, there's a, there's a non-zero chance that like a significant portion of um, starting MLB players are vaccinated come end of May. 
we'll say. Which would be amazing. Yeah, it really would be. Um, all right, so I, I, I actually have two final predictions because I had the one carryover from last year, but that fell cheap, so I have another one. That's just, you know, it's another just for me one. Mm, um, so my carryover one from last year is that Mike Trout does not finish top five in MVP voting. That was a bull prediction last year, and it barely got proven wrong as Mike Trout finished fifth in MVP voting. And this year, I think he's going to have just as hard of a time. I mean, the the AL is a tough uh, league. I was going to say conference, and like I knew it wasn't right. Um, and you know, I you're going to get a full season of Anthony Rendon. You're going to get a full season of Aaron Judge. You're going to get a full season of Giancarlo Stanton. If both those guys actually end up staying healthy, uh, like the, there is there's a lot of talent that I think could put because this prediction is not necessarily about Mike Trout. That's a little bit about Mike Trout, but it's mostly about how good the rest of the American league is going to get combined with voter fatigue for the same ruling party. That is Mike Trout. Uh, <laughs> there's Shohei Otani. There's a lot of people who can make a, make a, a, a leap forward and push Trout out of, um, of his top spot or that he always resides in, but we shall see. That is a bold one. The other one that I have that is, that is again, just for me, uh, mm-hmm. Tony LaRusa gets fired before the season ends. Now. I love that. Tony LaRusa shouldn't have gotten hired. <laughs> Tony LaRusa should have gotten fired after the first DUI thing that came out earlier this year. <laughs> Tony LaRusa should have gotten fired after there was a pretty public uh, resentment from members of the White Sox players. But Tony LaRusa perseveres. And I hope, I hope that if the White Sox start sucking it up um, and ownership looks at this guy who, if the White Sox start having problems, Tony La Russa will certainly be generating more problems because he's like 90 and has no concept over the youth of today that you'd hope that that would spark it in ownership's mind to be like, ah, yes, we should fire this man and hire a young person. Um, <laughs> we shall see. This is the same front office that hired him in the first place. Who the fuck knows? Um, so that is, that is that other bold prediction. Uh, so I technically had 11. I'm a fan. Them's the breaks. Uh, yeah, man. Fucking anything else? No, those are those are some fun predictions that we had this year. I'm actually uh, very much excited to see how these all play out. I think we're slowly getting better at this. Yeah, it's only taken us what ten years. Yeah, something like that. It feels like it anyway. Uh, yeah. All right. Cool. 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 Those are our predictions. Lock them in. Um, we'll we'll keep tabs on them. We'll probably check in on them around the All Star break, and then again. Um, after the season ends, but before the awards, just to see how we're doing. Um, but keep a, keep an eye and an ear and a nose out for those. Um, and we'll uh, we'll leave it there until it's time to give updates on them. So, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Juicing Pod. If you want to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. You can check out the show on YouTube. Fucking Google it. We don't got a link. It's in the description of this shit if you feel like it. I don't care. Um, and if you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at juicingthenumbers at gmail.com. Then until uh, Thursday, y'all have a good one. Bye.